because of their creative interests, they begin to experiment with technology. And that's really how new media art was born. It was for the people who were curious to push those limits of what is possible. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Alexandra who is a digital strategist for the art world and a co-founder of Electric Art Facts, an online venue for new media art. The platform serves as an exhibition space destination for learning and consultancy on new media art. She is also the director of program partnership at Dot Art, the digital addresses for arts community. She holds a master's degree in art business from Sotheby's Institute of Art and has experience working across galleries, auction houses and art fairs. By combining her knowledge of art business with prior work in consulting and software sales, she specializes in introduction of new application to the art industry. In this episode, Alexandra had shared great insights on new media art and how does this new media of art movement had started and we also spoke on the important characteristics of new media art that separates it from old media. We discussed on how is the rapid evolution of technology shaping this industry and what are the best lenses to be used to test and maintain the quality of new media art. In the end, we discussed on ethics, collaboration, presentation involved in the new media art. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Uh, thanks, Tej. I'm really happy to be here today. So, Alexandra, how's your day going? Uh, it's great. Um, London is approaching the end of the lockdown, so I'm really looking forward to checking out some of the new shows and exhibitions. That's wonderful. So, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm the co-founder of Electric Artifacts and the global ambassador for Dot Art Domains. Electric Artifacts is a venue for new media art. We're an exhibition space, a destination for learning and consultancy on everything uh, about digital technology and contemporary art. In turn, Dot Art is the digital address for the arts community, is a top-level domain. We work with many organizations in the field of new media arts, such as Rhizome, Kadaf, and Ars Electronica to oversee partnerships within the online space. Thank you so much, Alexander. So what was your journey into art and how did you start? What are your tips to the beginners out there? Uh, well, honestly, Tej, ever since I was a kid, I was really creative and I sold my first book at the age of six. And at the age of 11, I actually organized an auction of things I found in our backyard. Sort of similarly, my first career was a leadership consultancy. And then I went to do a master's degree in art business. And the opaque nature of art business was something that, you know, the contemporary entrepreneurs are aiming to democratize. And it felt really intriguing. And as the arts industry was going through a tectonic shift towards digital, I saw many possibilities and chose to join it. And I think there's only so much one can teach you when it comes to navigating your career, especially in a field like arts. And while some people might find the uncertainty challenging, others um, see it as an opportunity to their own path. So I would advise for people to identify their mentors and absorb as much information as possible about the topics that interest you because the opportunity will come. 
same as your podcast. Thank you so much, Arjun. So what are the tips that you want to suggest to the beginners out there? So apart from absorbing as much information as possible on the topics that interest you, I, I would suggest people to keep an eye on some of the... In- influencers in the space. For example, for myself, when I was interested in new media arts, I identified some of the key people that I would follow on social channels and attend their lectures and attend any exhibition openings that were relevant to what I'm interested in. I would forge relationships, professional relationships with those people. As I learned more, I realized how could I bring value to the organizations that I would like to work with. That's wonderful, Alexandra. So let's begin our episode today with new media art. So what is new media art and how does this movement of art started? Uh, that's a very good question and it's quite broad. Um, new media art, often referred to as digital art, is a term and practice that has been prevalent in the museums and contemporary art sex sector ever since 50s, 60s. Digital art, um, to use the definition by Austin Museum, is art that uses technology in three of the ways, as the product, as the process, or as the subject. But, you know, ultimately, digital art is a form of art that could not otherwise exist without digital technology. So the early pioneers of new media art were those who wanted to test the limits of the first machines built. So their works are referred to as computer arts, which is a subset of the more open term of new media art. Frequently among the early works, uh, we saw those that were with hands-written codes or bespoke equipment or software that was adapted especially for the creative process. But history of digital art goes hand in hand with the evolution of technology. And you can trace many pioneers of those new tools throughout the decade. For example, Nam June Pike becoming the pioneer of video art or Mario Klingman of artificial intelligence. Nowadays, you would frequently... um, notice that the artists working specifically with new media arts are actually people without the traditional arts education. We actually, among our cohorts, have a great number of artists who are um, who are studying biophysics or computer engineering or any other technical field. But because of their creative interests, they begin to experiment with technology. And that's really how new media art was born. It was for the people who were curious to push those limits of what is possible. And for example, our show launching in January will be a cohort of artists actually exploring uh, the field of artificial intelligence, each pointing out different social aspects um, that the machine and their practice is touching upon. Thank you so much, Alexander. So what are the important characteristics of new media that separates it from old media? Well, it's actually a funny question because when you think about art in general and you think about contemporary art, we call contemporary anything that's from the 70s until now. If you look at auction houses, you see that they have modern arts as a department and then they have contemporary arts. And what will happen in 20, 30 years? Are we going to refer to this type of art still as contemporary or do we have to change the whole terminology of how we classify arts? And I think similar thing can be applied to old media versus new media. In arts, we often use the term traditional media when we're referring to tools that do not use digital technology, whether it's oil paints or sculpture. But at the same time, new media, part of it, 
is empowering the same practices, but allows more room for experimentation. For example, if you're a sculptor 50 years ago, you might use some of the traditional mediums like um, marble or wood or pretty much anything that you find, right? Um, so many artists were using home appliances to create uh, installations. But these days, artists can be sculptors, but at the same time, using new media to create those sculptures. For example, 3D printing. Um, there are so many applications of 3D printing and normally it has also transferred slowly into the art sector and people began using it. So I would say the main difference is the reliance on digital technology. Thank you so much, Alexandra. So how is this rapid evolution of technology shaping this industry? Um, you know, technology opens so much room for experimentation, but at the same time, it also challenges the artists whose core theme is about being at the forefront of innovation. While some artists, those that, for example, were pioneers of computer art, they chose to stick to their traditional methods of actually writing the code. Some other ones were following the wave of innovation. And uh, we recently had a conversation with more, uh, one of our exhibiting artists, Mario Klingman, who, who is a pioneer of artificial intelligence art. And his main challenge was that if 20 years ago, you know, you invent something, it would take at least half a year for that, um, for that solution commodified for the wider audience to use. A simple example is, you know, the moving, you probably saw many viral videos of people's faces moving, uh, which, was, which was a development. And he basically, he, he developed um, that for one of his work and only later that would come up uh, to the public. And the issue is that um, there are many artists who, for example, do not necessarily know how, how to create um, the arts, but they use the existing solutions and they package it nicely and they sell it for quite large sums of money. And uh, I don't think one or the other is right or wrong, but the whole uh, dilemma here is what are you selling? Are you selling, you know, are you selling the solution? Are you selling the final image? Or are you selling the story? Because as some of you may have heard two years ago, um, or was it even last year or two years ago, it was the sale of half a million work um, that was one of the first sales of artificial intelligence arts. And the actual codes that was used to make it was borrowed from GitHub. It, it was just available for free. So the artists that um, the collective obvious, they essentially, they adopted it. They, they trained it on a set of images and then they packaged it so well and they marketed it so well that it fetched um, an incredible price at an auction never seen before. So how do you think the ethic rules plays over here? Because with this new media art, a lot of artists, you know, who are not artists, actual artists also are trying to trace out the work or copy it or morph it in different way and then put it onto the same platform. It's a very controversial thing happening in the art world. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, a very common argument these days is um, among the crypto community where, you know, you can tokenize the work and then the work is traceable straight back to the owner. I think within the online space that do not use um, this tool, there are also many ways. For example, no one ever canceled certification of authenticity. And I think that any buyer, if he's willing to make an investment into a work of art, it's really important to do at least a little bit of due diligence. And 
there were several cases when artworks were appropriated, but at the same time, this is not something new. This was often also present in the traditional medium. If you look back at Richard Prince taking screenshots of people's Instagram accounts and then selling those screenshots for $90,000. And because Instagram didn't have any copyright protection back in the time, um, no one really knows if he ever paid any of those accounts, uh, account holders, once he sold the works. So it's a very interesting theme and many institutions, uh, for example, the Serpentine Gallery in London has an incubator and part of that incubator is looking at the legal side of collaborations online, but also they're looking at how to protect your work throughout the process so <laughs> things like that don't happen where an artist gets all the credits and money for a project that he had other collaborators on. Thanks, Alexandra. So what is the best lens to use to test and maintain the quality of these new media art subjects? Well, this is also another tricky... <laughs> it's, it's almost like every question is tricky, but again, because it is a new field and, and it's art and there is no right or wrong, but I would, uh, I would still draw a parallel to the traditional market because an artist's, you know, an artist's education, the amount of publications... Um, the amount of solo shows, how, how many times his, their work was purchased, they still play an important role in value formation. It, it is also a lot about execution, although, you know, the same way as, for example, Jeff Koons uh, oversees other people making the actual sculptures for him. The same way uh, these days we have a divergence where we have certain artists who know how to make it themselves and then certain artists use existing um, teams of engineers to actually create the work for them. So all they do is just come up with a concept and neither is right or wrong, but still it's the sort of it's in the hands of the artist to oversee an excellent execution of his vision. Um, then we have concept, how relevant is the theme they're exploring in the present day, the aesthetics. Sometimes the concept overrules the aesthetical part, but if you're looking, for example, um, if you're targeting your work to be in a collector's home, you would want to consider what are some of the factors that might influence the purchase. And um, also some works, um, for example, public works or temporal, uh, temporal works, they focus on engagement, especially in new media arts and how well does the work engage with the uh, with the public this this is a really thin line with virality and you know some of the works that um people just would love to engage with whether online or offline a, a common example you can say is ar filters on instagram so now we see a lot of artists being commissioned by companies like Jean-Paul Gaultier or some others um, to create specific filters, but then other artists are actually making an AR file as a work of art. And filter has that element of engagement and there's a higher probability that more people will see the work. And obviously it's well known that the more times the work has been seen, the, the the higher the value of the work. So there's so many different directions you can go to because digital art has so many mediums that artists can take advantage of. Thank you, Alexander. So in this new media, how do you collaborate the models of production and presentation work? Um, so this is, this is an important aspect, uh, especially for... Uh, because more and more people post-COVID started collaborating online and many digital projects, they um, more successful than others, um, even more successful than traditional 
and they rely heavily on collaboration. And I think that the most important part is um, documenting, documenting from the inception how the intellectual property is going to be split between the artists um, who will actually uh, have ownership what kind of license are you willing to provide uh, about the project that you're sharing? Examples of collaborations can be a video artist collaborating with a sound artist. And those are beautiful because any video, any digital video work with a supporting uh, uh, sound is, uh, is extra powerful. It immerses more of your senses. We Recently in our inaugural show that happened um, in September 2020, we had Ultra Bianca who did a video piece together in collaboration with other artists. And we made sure that we credit both of the artists um, under the work. Also, when it's um, digital art can be in a physical space. As an example, it can be an immersive installation of sound and light. And there are many artists that are using uh, light commercially at festivals. They're commissioned to create installations, but sometimes as a standalone work of art and similar thing. And often um, there is a lack of resources unfortunately but as I mentioned um, I think one of the most prominent ones is the Serpentine that are having workshops and are producing a lot of material informing artists on um, on how to best build that collaboration model. Thank you so much Alexandra. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like and any interesting stories? Uh, <laughs> well I think it was um, there were so many adventures uh, obviously pre-COVID and now that we all live online, the most exciting things <laughs> probably happen on the screen. But you know, what I, what I really enjoyed these days is that the meetings that started happening, they shifted away from, uh, from physical locations like a restaurant or a cafe or a club. And now I hear like I'm meeting some se senior uh, leaders from different uh, arts organizations and the, the formats of our meeting is going for a walk to the park and sort of <laughs> we're deciding like, are we going to go to Hyde Park? Are we going to go to Victoria Park? Like, are we going to go stroll down the river? And it's sort of because the art world is frequently referred to as a bit exclusive, uh, elitist. And I think that this has sort of brought us back to, you know, why are we interested in art in the first place? And uh, it has brought us back down on earth and the conversations are more casual. There's no pretentiousness. And I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And when, you know, when I'm not talking about art, which is quite a lot of my time, you can also catch me on the tennis court. And um, I'm a really big fan of tennis. Thank you so much, Alexander. So we'll end this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. So um, the top three books that I could think of is those that I'm going through at the moment. Uh, it's really hard for me to focus on one thing. So I have to be reading several things at once. So um, first and foremost, it's the Digital Art by Christian Paul. So Christian Paul is a curator at Whitney and they have a very strong um, new media arts program and they have a biennial that takes place. Um, she goes into detail about the evolution of digital so arts and some of the key artists and some of the key movements and how the concept um, works throughout the decades and what, what sort of influences um, were the strongest. And then the second book, it's by Frank Popper. It's called Art of the Electronic Age. So this book is actually a couple of decades um, old already. But at the same time, I think um, all the things covered are um, the more relevant today. And it's really worth 
it's it's more for people who are really really new to, to digital arts for them to get like a basic overview and learn about some of the key figures in the space and the third book is actually um, more of like my little pocket book uh, it's issued by the serpentine gallery they sent it to me a couple of months ago what attracted me about it is that it focuses on the infrastructure so to say, of the art world within the arts and technology context. So it looks not only on the theory of new media art, but also on some of the terminology uh, that we should use when referring to it and understanding some of the key movements. And this is important because the, the reason we started the Electric Artifacts and the reason, you know, we started um, so many startups are happening now in the space is because the ecosystem is still not there. Um, and that's why digital art fairs are happening. That's why museums are having incubators because together we're shaping that infrastructure for digital artists to have a more clear career path. And um, so one of the people that uh, comes to my mind who influences me is Carla Rappaport. So she's our board member at Electric Artifacts and she's the co-founder of Lumen Price. Uh, it is the UK's or probably one of the world's um, leading prizes for arts and technology. So last year um, and uh, last year and the years before, they take place at the Barbican Centre, a really prestigious venue in London. Unfortunately, this year, um, everyone was shifted online, but they had a terrific premiere and they're having a um, they just had a show in December of um, their winning cohorts using a virtual space. So they adopted quite quickly and she really dedicated the last 10 years of her life to uh, promoting the price. And it's a non-commercial entity as well. So you know that the people who are participating and volunteering, and I was a member of their um, judge panel last year, um, they're all doing it because of, you know, because they want to support the ecosystem and the creation of digital arts um, trajectory. And the other two people, I'll be quite honest with you, um, my motivation to sort of go into the industry and feel strong as a woman uh, um, growing throughout my career and launching my own thing. It was not only connected to media art, but it was also connected to the strong female leaders I worked under. So the first person was um, Caroline Smolders. She's, um, she's a former director at uh, Christie's in Paris, and then she launched her own gallery. And um, I had the opportunity to work with her at one of the photo art fairs. And, you know, the art world, it was really hard at the beginning. And, you know, when you don't have a job and people are sort of not giving you much responsibility and it makes you question yourself. And what inspired me working with her is that she treated me as an equal and she never doubted me in my ability and I managed to prove her right. And she gave me so much responsibility from day one. And we stayed really close ever since. And um, I was also really fortunate when I started at Dot Art. I mean, the whole team, um, the whole team really throughout the last several years, I grew so much. But um, our um, CEO at the time was Osge Erdom. And she was also like that first long-term female boss and I developed so much with her uh, professionally, but also um, personally working within the team, working in a bigger team. I mean, we started with two people and then we had about 15 people. So going through every single stage of the startup, 
she would stay up late, <laughs> but then at the same time, you know, she would teach me what's right work ethic. And um, so I think, yeah, I'm terribly grateful to having those women in my life. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for sharing all these wonderful insights and your beautiful journey with us. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thank you, Tesh, so much and for everything you're doing for the community. And I, I, I love listening to your podcasts and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode and if this episode has helped you to gain better insights on design then don't forget to share this with a friend or a colleague and be the part of the movement to democratize design and also if you like this episode don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you are listening on.